Hey, welcome to Meyer Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. We're two industrial designers in the big city. Sweating the small stuff. Nice. <laughs> We're trying to mix up the uh, intro. Yeah, so, so I, I'm not inclined to go, ooh. <laughs> um, but fun fact about this episode, this was the episode that we lost. Yes. Well, we're re-recording it now, but we lost an episode last week, guys. Um, this is the real deal. That was a dress rehearsal. This is, this is, uh, if we say all the same jokes and kind of like fake laugh at each other, that means that we've already said the same jokes and uh, we've, we've heard it before. I'm going to try to just record a completely different episode <laughs> as much as I can. Yeah, I think that's good. But this is also our first podcast back from Christmas. This right. Is, we, I looked back in the archives. Um, and I realized that we haven't done a good old, good old fashioned normal topic episode since October. Can you believe that? Really? Yeah. We've done a lot of interviews. We had like a recap of the course every seven conference. We had a question episode. We had the Christmas episode, special episode. There was a lot of episodes that were like special. Huh? Um, but yeah, this is a good old fashioned topic episode. Wow. Just you and me, James. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. But but no, you're, you're fine. Um, but uh, yeah, Christmas. We I, we haven't sent, had a chance to talk since Christmas. Nick, did you? I don't think I even asked this last time. Did you get anything good for Christmas? Yeah, I got a bonsai tree. Oh, where is it? Uh, it's at my studio. Well, that's a great story, Nick. <laughs> Wish I could see it. Well, I'll, I'll take a picture and show you. I don't believe that it's real. <laughs> I, I think it's like having a girlfriend in Canada. <laughs> I'll take a picture of it. Bonsai trees are actually pretty difficult to take care of, I heard. So, mm. But I haven't killed it yet. And I've had it for, what, a month now? Are you trying to channel that Dieter Rams? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, got, got the little scissors and everything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Did you get anything good for Christmas? Oh, my gosh. I haven't even thought about this question. Um... Let's see. I got some nice long sleeve shirts. I got, oh, uh, my wife got us an Echo Dot. Okay. Um, so now I I am Alexa enabled. So you are just saying, hey, Alexa, all the time? Yeah. Well, actually, and this is, this is funny. My wife changed it so that instead of saying Alexa, we say computer. Hey, computer. It's... It's a lot better. I like it a lot better. Really? Because okay. it's like you're in a 70s sci-fi movie or something. Hey, computer. Yeah. Uh, yes, James, what do you <laughs> want? <laughs> and uh, But it's great because it's like, you know, it's hooked up to our uh, Sonos and Spotify. So you can just like ask it to play. Oh, that's cool. Whatever. That That's really nice. Like, hey, hey, computer, play Daft Punk. Yeah. Although I've been listening to this band Snail Mail recently. And uh, that was the first one that I attempted to get the uh, Alexa to play. And for some reason, that was a no-go. Like, I had to be more specific. Just saying snail mail, it's like, yeah, well, old technology does not compute. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, but it's amazing that that thing is only 30 bucks. Well, you, I mean, it's $30 to us, but then they're mining our data. Oh, yeah. they're making a lot of money right. off those ads. Right, yeah. Um, I think that's actually a real, real article somewhere, but I, I, I don't really. I'm not going to dive into that. That's not the point of the today's topic. Go but. ahead, Amazon, <laughs> mine the hell out of my data. Um, uh, another fun thing: my family came up to New York for Christmas. Oh yeah, and uh, James or my mom, you guys got to meet for the first time. That yes, was, that was a, a a wonderful event, specifically because when my mom shows up, and you know, we had talked about on the before on the podcast that. Uh, my mom and and you have talked on the phone. Oh yes, it was kind of like a surprise to me. And then my mom rolls up to New York, and she's like, "Yeah, James and I talk like every week." And I was like, <laughs> "What? What are you talking about?" She did call me up to ask for Christmas present ideas for me. Yeah, did you say bonsai? I was like, "Absolutely, get that tiny, tiny tree. Get the Wait, tiniest you one serious? you can." No, oh, okay, no. Uh, I'll never, I'll never tell. You'll never tell. But uh, I will tell you that we did have a conversation <laughs> and it involved a lot of post-it notes. I'll tell you that on my end. You post-it noted my Christmas present yes. from my mom. Yeah. I service designed the whole thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was a real treat uh, to be taken out by your family. Like my wife and I came out. You guys 
paid for you know our drinks our food and course, we man. we just got to enjoy the the company of your great family yeah it's a really really nice meal they're fun yeah um yeah they're really fun i love that story that you posted of your mom doing vr yeah so and i feel like oculus needs to uh tap tap into that yeah i so you know my family came for christmas and they went to do all the touristy things we went up the one world trade center we went to times square all that and we also my i also let my mom try vr she's never tried it before and she was so excited she hopped in there um and she was just like blown away like she was just amazed she was like hanging out like doing all these crazy things and you know uh it was fun. Like my dad and my sister were all kind of watching and like kind of laughing and having a ball. But then, but then we kind of like sit back like, Oh, it's been five minutes. Like, you know, like, you know, she's still have fun. Like let her be, you know, right. 10 minutes passes, 15 minutes passes. And she's still like wandering around. And, um, and you know, by this time, like we're, we're all on our phones, like just like waiting for my mom <laughs> to like get finished. The funny thing is though, she was just in the main menu. No. <laughs> yes. Yes. So the the thing is that in VR, uh, the main menu is my house. I have a VR house. Oh. I don't think I have. I mentioned my VR house in the pod. No. Yeah. Well, I decorate it. It looks nice. It's got some modern furniture and stuff. But uh, <laughs> she just like was like walking around in my house, like saying like, "Oh, Nick, I love the decorations. I love the view." Um. But yeah, she really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think my favorite line is uh is her. I think she's in Gravity Sketch. Yeah, we, we put her in a Gravity Sketch eventually. And she said, it's like Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> Jumanji's a good movie. I mean, it is that immersive. Yeah. You know. But uh, yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun hanging out with your uh, with your family right before we went down to Florida. Um, but yeah. Uh, Nick, uh, you know, during also during that time, we passed New Year's. Yeah. And, you know... There's a time old tradition of having a New Year's resolution. Yeah, New and, Year's resolutions. I mean, I'm curious. Do you have any? No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty easy, pretty simple. Answer. Nick I, I don't. is perfect. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I have a more unique point of view on the resolution thing. I think. Ah, oh, so you think you're unique now? Well, <laughs> James, <laughs> I think. Uh, I've never really found news resolutions to motivate me to do things. Mm. It, like for me, if I was going to, I don't know, go and start working out, it's not going to be on January 1st, right? It's just going to, I'm just going to go do it, right? I'm just going to set it in in my schedule or something like that and just just do it. Like why is a New Year's resolution on January 1st? It's, it's, it's almost like a time perception thing regardless of what whatever it is i don't have a news resolution um i you know i have aspirations and things i'm working towards right for for this year but uh but yeah other than that (laughs) nothing did you have a new year's resolution i mean i'm definitely getting back into working out oh that's good because uh i was lacking on that for a little bit and i you know uh i do find that when i'm not working out i like my mind isn't quite as clear. Like if, I, if I'm if i just going through day to day without doing anything, like other than just going to work and coming home, yeah. my mind is, is like often pretty cluttered. Right. And so working out, I do find to be very like clearing in that sense. Definitely. Um, also getting back into my meditation routine. And then I just, you know, I've been sort of sitting back for the most part when it comes to like things like render weekly or the weekly design challenge and and just kind of like watching and looking at the skill sets of other people on instagram and i kind of want to push my hard skills this year okay Hmm. because i feel like you know i i kind of have my style which which works around certain things and I kind of want to get back into just like developing some of those harder skills and and some some things that I'm just like, you know, when it comes to, for instance, Ready, Set, Proto, like that's, you know, 
that is something prototyping is something that I would like to dive in more on and, and learn some new techniques and yeah. That's great. I, yeah, I mean, we haven't really mentioned it yet. Hopefully you've seen it on Instagram, but um, I helped start a new account called ready set proto, which, yeah. you, which you just mentioned. And it's all about prototyping uh, challenges every two weeks. It's biweekly. Um, and, you know, on the Instagram, there's the sketch challenge, weekly design challenge. There's the rendering challenge, render weekly. And I've always felt that there was something missing. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that physical aspect that was missing. And, of course, I'm probably not the only one that thought that. But, um, you know, I teamed up with uh, Advanced Design Sketching. Mm-hmm. And they thought it would be a great thing for them to run in tandem with their account because their whole thing was about design sketching and then branching off into prototyping is the right. next step for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of helped them and mentored them to start up the ready set proto handle and yeah, I'm excited. It's been, I mean, I, I guess by the time this releases, we'll be in the, the second challenge and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the first challenge was sunglasses. There were some awesome sunglasses out there, uh, just like cardboard mock-ups. It doesn't always have to be 3d prints. It could be whatever you have. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of this conversation that I had. Um, There's a guy, uh, Brooke Kennedy, who's a professor down at Virginia Tech, and he came from Smart Design. And something for a long time that kept me from doing models was that I felt like if if I was going to do a model, it had to be perfect. You know, if if I was going into the shop, I had to come out with something that represented like the sketch that I was doing or, you know, to, to the degree that, you know, it was finished and polished. And I, that was like something that was holding me back from, from really using it as an exploratory medium. And one of the things that he said to me, uh, this was right before I left school, he was talking to me about at Smart Design, uh, I don't know if this is still the case or or what, um, but this is what he told me was that they had kind of this underlying competition of who could build the quickest, dirtiest model to represent the idea. And that, just like that idea of a professional firm, people at a professional firm doing, approaching things in that way was really comforting to me yeah. to like just get, you know, get down and dirty and, and just like make crude models. I, there's definitely a lot of value in that, yeah. Ma- mainly just time. Yeah. If you can whip up a, a working model in, in three minutes and prove out your concept, that's much better than like going in the shop and like building a nice sanded like yeah. fancy or prototype. For that matter, spending an, an exorbitant amount of time on a sketch same yeah exactly you know? mm-hmm. so yeah it's uh i'm i'm pretty interested to see what comes out of this i can't say that i'm gonna be like you know submitting to every single challenge or anything i, I it's really more about like doing things at my own pace right. but like uh i was really i got really excited after watching um it was will gibbons uh render weekly tutorial oh right and i was like man, I really need to just get into watching more tutorials because that tutorial taught me so much about KeyShot. And this episode is brought to you by Skillshare. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's not really. Uh, But uh, yeah, I think tutorials are great. I, I should get back on that game too. Um, No, Nick, you're okay. You're just, uh, you you know, just don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, Well, I, Going off of tutorials, there is something that is kind of sad, but I also kind of want to just disclose it because I think it's a good thing to talk about. Um, uh, last year, I had started Patreon. Mm-hmm. And this year, kind of looking at my priorities, again, uh, you know, going forward to this year, I guess my resolution was just, if you want to call it a resolution, I wanted to be more focused on what I wanted to do in my career, which, right. which is building my studio and building Almost Object. Um so with that, coming into January, I realized that the Patreon currently in my career, I feel like is maybe not the best direct use of my time. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed creating connections on it. You know, it had about 30 patrons on there. Um, 
and we were always chatting, you know, always messaging on Instagram and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad to like shut it down. I mean, they'll still be on my Instagram. We can still chat. We still have that relationship, but uh, I think the workload was just a little bit, a little bit too much of not necessarily targeted into my career that I want to go. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You got to try things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I applaud you for trying it out. I mean, the thing the thing that's strange, you know, not strange, but the thing about Patreon to me is like, should it be about creating more work than you already are? No. Or should it be about like, like patrons weren't necessarily asking more of the people that they were uh, giving money to. They were just like wanting to fund that person's artistic vision or, or right. whatever and like Tr- traditionally like in the old days yeah. yeah and i and i know that there are patreons where it's like there's nothing there's nothing that they're necessarily putting on to patreon except for maybe like a monthly q a like do you think that people would be willing to be a patron without the content like the I, patreon content i i think well, a big part of my Patreon was my chair sketch videos mm-hmm. where I just sit down for two hours and sketch a chair and kind of narrate it um, real time. And I think that was really valuable and that's what people really gravitated towards. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I think, I think the value of my Patreon was behind the scenes. I think, you know, maybe a more, essentially what you're saying is patrons used to just donate money. Essentially like, hey, we love what you do. Here's money just to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, because... Your Instagram alone is like a part-time gig. Yeah. It's like, it's, you're like moonlighting as an Instagrammer. I guess so. Yeah. You know, so I I, don't know. I I would hope for a day that that's the scenario. Yeah. Um, I think we're, I don't know if the modern age is kind of set up for that, but, uh, it's an interesting thought. We'll see. Um, but, uh, onto our next segment. Do, 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 do. Design news. Uh, design Let's news. go to Nick in the field, Nick. <laughs> hey, Tom. I got some design news for you. How? Why is my name Tom? I don't know. Because <laughs> is James a news reporter name? Uh, I I imagine there's some there's some reporter yeah, out there named James. I don't think we're barred from entering the newscaster. I feel like arena. I feel like Tom and Bill. James need not apply. <laughs> um. Uh. And this might kind of dive into our topic later on, but an interesting news that uh, kind of popped up this week was that uh, Jamie Wolfond, the founder of Good Thing, which we we mentioned back on, I believe, our Core 77 podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Good Thing is a houseware everyday product kind of company. They make just really fun, simple, clever objects, um, very design forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jamie Wolfond was... uh, made a deal with West Elm to sign an exclusive retail agreement. Um, so West Elm is the only retailer now that sells good thing. Mm-hmm. So not even good thing sells good thing anymore. <laughs> is that a good thing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, Fast Company had a good article about it. And it was interesting. You know, we don't know this necessarily the specifics of the, the deal. Uh, apparently, Jamie still has kind of the creative direction of good thing he's still going to be working on new products for it um and it seems as if west elm is taking on a lot more of the logistics the manufacturing yeah uh, the selling of the products yeah that's the interesting thing about it to me because you know we saw we saw him speak at uh the core 77 conference and the whole process is like manufacturing first oh i didn't even think about that but yeah you're right and and i'm curious if that'll still be the case like is west elm are they acquiring relationships that jamie has created with the manufacturers that he's worked with like like or are they just going to start sourcing these things wherever they can find the cheapest like I don't know. Is it always going to be process first? That that's that's a good thought. I I'm not really sure, and you know, obviously, all of this will unfold in the future. Um, 
of what really will entail for the brand. I, you know, it's, it's one of the brands that I've held like really close to me as, is something that I strive towards, um, you know, in, in my career, like I really love the brand. I take a lot of inspiration for almost object from the brand. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's something that I'm definitely going to keep a close eye on. The other thing that, that, uh, it was mentioned in the fast company article was that, you know, Jamie had mentioned that he's moving on to start to focus more on his studio. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of why this whole deal came about was that it's time to kind of pass the torch to West Elm to kind of handle all the logistics. So Jamie can work more on some, you know, personal projects, some more client based projects. And he also mentioned that he's going to go look into the Scandinavian market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know the Scandinavian market that well. And this is why we need some more like European or other, other, designers on the podcast but right um scandinavian market's really really high up on the design totem pole it's like the top of the pole right like yeah getting into that market competing with you know all these amazing danish designers and it's it's not easy and uh you know one of the reasons that jamie wants to go over to that market is that or at least the article was talking about was that the american market really hasn't accepted design in that way, right? We we still don't really the mass uh, America as a mass market still just goes to Target and buys stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're growing. I think eventually we'll get to that point where, uh, again, I've I've talked about this a couple times on the podcast. I think the European market is so much more refined, has mm-hmm. a refined design taste just because they've been around longer. Mm-hmm. It's like the Maslow's hierarchy thing, right? Like as as you get closer to the peak of civilization it's like what do you refine more you mm-hmm. start refining your objects your lifestyle you get that that kind of artistic look into your life yeah it's interesting because it i mean this all kind of feeds into the topic that we were thinking about talking about today which is sort of this idea as like design i've worked in companies where there's this idea that like we are designing things for a global market because bigger companies are selling to that big of a market. And, and kind of the question that comes up from that um, is like, as, as companies are selling to wider and wider audiences, like are there consequences to the design and to the character of the design? Like, does it lose its character or quality because because the markets just get so big like you don't want to turn anybody off yeah to what you're doing yeah design yeah i can kind of see that like i mean i think about some brands you think about apple and google and and uh, facebook and all the very you know large corporations they have a a style that's very neutral in a way Mm -hmm. they're not trying to go crazy they're not trying to be you know like super angular or or you know really curvy it's just very i mean even think about their logo marks right yeah i mean the logo is sans serif very plain right yeah i think i saw some article on fastco that was that was talking about kind of like um characterless or brand neutral logos this it's where they're all going yeah and and i wonder if we're losing something in that process like i mean i do see there being sort of like counter movements which is like sort of the farmer's market like local craftsmen like there is sort of that interest in that but it also like at the same time feels very commercial and artificial yeah in some ways well, I, I think, and that's kind of the 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 thing with the, the good thing uh, in West Elm is that West Elm is a much larger retailer mm-hmm. taking on this craft brand, this very like unique in, independent brand yeah. and bringing it into their infrastructure of global, you know, yeah. global system. But the question is, is that will it, will it retain its character? I don't know. I, I mean... The, the hope is yes. <laughs> the, that's the hope. 
I feel like a lot of times when you start doing global design and you do lose that character because there's so much, there's so many more logistics that are involved. Right. I mean, you think about shipping alone. Yeah. Now, when you start shipping across the world, you have to think about uh, the limitations of that. Right. I remember when I was designing litter boxes, which I talk about all the time, <laughs> as we know. Those things are very difficult to design because of the shipping restraints. Right. but And that's why you get so many products that are like nesting yeah. things or stacking things. Yeah. Is because like, you know, you have, you seem to have this little obsession with like flat pack shipping. I do have. A and few. I mean, that's, you know, and that's like the, the thing that Ikea it's is been, like founded upon. It's been ingrained to my experience. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a really interesting constraint, but it is a constraint of modern times where it's like, you know, way back when, when there was like just the local artisan blacksmith, whatever, it's like shipping like you know you you, first of all a a blacksmith wasn't making like you know minimum order fifty (laughs) thousand of anything right and then it's like yeah like they're just somebody's probably coming to the shop to pick it up but it's like you know something that i've been thinking about a lot is like this idea that there are hotbeds of industrial design in america and it's like you know you have your san francisco's you have your New York's whatever and it's like there are just places where I don't question whether there's even an industrial design firm or a person or yeah or one yeah one person but it's like are there any do we have any listeners that are designing in Nebraska oh man or South Dakota or North Dakota North Dakota I want to know yeah, if you're an industrial designer and you have a full-time design position in North Dakota, reach I out. I bet there's something. What about like Montana? Oh, I'm like Montana, I, I feel like is a little bit more, they got that West vibe to them, the yeah. West Coast vibe. I can see that. Like, I don't know where, Nevada? No, they've they've definitely got something. Iowa, maybe? I, yeah. Although I kind of feel like Iowa has, I, you start to get in the Midwest, there is a lot of industrial design in the Midwest right, as well. Because of manufacturing. Yeah. But, you know, this idea that like, What if we get to a time where, like, this is, you know, we're all sort of speculating about what the future is. Here's here's one speculation, and I'm interested to hear what you think about this. Like, what if we get to the point where manufacturing is once again localized because, like, we have things like, you know, 3D, amazing 3D printers that are printing in multi-materials and giving you everything you need in one shot. Right. Like where you get to the point where like the industrial designer then once again becomes like the local craftsman. Whoa, full circle. Yeah. Because like like imagine this. Imagine if there wasn't just one iPhone. Imagine if every state had a distinct iPhone. <laughs> like the guts were all there but it was like regionally specific. It's it's almost it kind of reminds me of everyone's iPhone case. Right. It's like everyone has their own individual case and it's all very specific to their personality and yeah. where they come from and things like that. But instead of just being the case, it's like, oh, you have, you know, the local iPhone store that has the local printer with the local iPhone designs that you can just print out which right. one you want. Yeah. That's interesting. That I, would, Apple would never do that, first of all. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Like, I was trying to think about, like, um, industries where it is still hyper localized and the only one that i could think of was sports oh i was thinking food well yeah restaurants yeah although like you know when you start to get chains and things coming into different places oh, I didn't like, think about chains yeah but there there does seem to be more of a trend toward like local like local ingredients like um, you know, locally owned. But what about the sports family businesses? But sports, like, think about like sports design and like and teams and the design around like a team and how you don't really like. It's like the one place where you still see a lot of symbols. Yeah, like there's no high school football team in Florida called the Penguins, right? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Like it's very localized. There might way? be. But no, I like. Oh, we, there, should, we should look it up now. There's something. Well, I mean, sports teams like they get 
they get traded all around like so the names stay so like the la lakers were you know there's no lakes in la it was salt lake was uh, that salt lake Lakers? it might have been uh yeah there's a there's a great scene in the movie basketball by matt stone and trey parker of south park fame okay where in the very beginning of the film they talk about how sports teams are traded and how like the you know the lakers moved to la where there are no lakes you know <laughs> Um, so maybe that's not the best example, but it's like, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting design industry where like, you know, you don't really see many religious symbols in design at all, like in the modern era, like those are all gone. Like there are, there are like symbols and mascots and things that are, that like everybody identify with. You don't find that in design necessarily anymore no like, i i can't think of anything like i i there are like certain brands that you think of certain countries right but and and i guess that that's like the same with america and like apple or you know ford but i i don't know i guess i'm just like wondering if there's if there's a moment in the future where things do become more localized once again that's interesting i yeah sorry well, no, I mean, definitely it's an interesting thought. And I, I do agree that, you know, with digital fab- fabrication, you know, 3D printers, laser cutters, all that, we are going to get some degree of localization. I don't know if that'll ever translate into full-on, like, hey, instead of going to Ikea, I'm going to go to my local wood shop or, like, mm-hmm. my local furniture store that makes custom. That seems definitely farther out in the future. Um, but, I, I mean, obviously... In New York, we have that. Yeah. Because New York is a very, like, small bubble, and it has all these... New York has everything you could ever imagine. Right. Um, there is definitely a lot of wood shops that you could go and ask for yeah, a custom yeah. piece of furniture. But it's not cheap. That's, no. That's the, that's the trick, right? Yeah. I think, I think what I'm really trying to get at is, like, there's this thing that I'm always wondering about, which is how to make design that's meaningful to the user... And, and sometimes I'm like, how is that possible when I'm trying to, when I'm trying design to for sell everyone. design for everyone? Huh. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, when going back to the sports example, if I took a, if I took a cell phone case and slapped a logo of a sports team on it, right. it would immediately become more meaningful to that person living in that region. But less meaningful to everyone else. Exactly. And so that's the conundrum is like, like we want our designs to be long lasting and sustain and like be meaningful to the user. But at the same time, we're stripping away all these details yeah. that could actually be meaningful. Well, I think part of that, and I, I maybe this is like the argument against that, is that if if you have a very simple object, a very useful object, something that's not decorative, something that does not have a lot of mo- emotion to it, mm-hmm. you know, where you have our MacBooks here, they're very simple. They're mine is uh, uh, rounded edges. You have flat, you know, rectangle, and it, this this doesn't have you know any emotion to it. I mean, it's very nicely crafted. It you know it looks very confident in its design, but um, I think over time, that's how our users will connect with the designs, right? It's it's not necessarily that you have the relationship like straight away with a design, in which you might with a phone case that has your favorite, you know, sports team on it. You're like, oh yeah, I want that phone case. Mm-hmm. But if you get a phone case that's plain, very simple, clean, um, over time you you kind of get that wear and tear on it. You start to kind of get that that wabi-sabi, wabi-sabi, is that how you say it? Yeah. And it starts to become almost yours, and you build up that relationship over time. Right. So I think it, in the contrary to that, instead of adding all the decorative elements, you take away those decorative elements that can, uh, you know, polarize people, and, you know, it leaves a very clean and useful, and hopefully you have some sort of high-quality material that, can be long lasting and can gain that kind of patina that mm. you can bond over over time. It's interesting. So you're saying that like you imprint memories onto your objects as you live with them. I, I think about mm. um 
I mean, our, our most common objects that we have with us all the time are like our keys, our wallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you have AirPods. We both have AirPods, yeah. uh, our phones. I, uh, I, you know, I have my old iPhone 6, I believe, and it had, I had the space gray, which was, you know, the, the kind of like the satin aluminum finish. But I had it for so long that the corners had polished mm-hmm. to be like a, a mere polish. Right. Which was interesting. Like that, that doesn't, doesn't ship like that yeah it was satin and over time i it was almost like a a badge of honor like oh i've had this for so long that the edges are like polished because the cloth of my pocket polished the edges mm-hmm. same with my airpod case it's it has these micro scratches that are just almost becoming a texture right um i don't know that's, yeah i look there's, I look, my, there's my thought on that i look at the airpods case and i'm like oh god this thing's getting gross <laughs> But there, uh, there is definitely an argument that plastic doesn't patina well. But the thing is, like, you see, even with laptops, people start slapping stickers on the back because they're like, I want this. I want this to represent me. I want this to represent things that I find important. Listen, there's two types of people. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like a lot of a lot of where the style of the current like the current day style, I feel like a lot of it is derived from almost purely from economics Mm. and it's like the economics of how to appeal to the largest portion of people like not turn anybody off how to get to market like the fastest with the technology because you don't want anybody else to get there before you yep and so there are things that just have to kind of go by the wayside that could that could make elevate the object to something like even more personal or, you know, what have you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's kind of, I don't know. I don't know if we, I mean, I think we had some good points there. I don't know yeah. necessarily what our conclusion is. No. I, th- I, I think we are, I would say that we're correct in thinking that as products go more global, they do get less emotive. Mm-hmm. They do get less, they, they, they're more marketed toward a wider audience. I mean, that's the that's the whole goal of the business, right? Like, grow yeah. your audience, grow sales. Yeah, and I'm not against globalism, like, in, you know, by any means. Like, I think that there should be more open dialogue between cultures to just to exchange ideas. But, I like, I think there's, there's also something to localism, and I think that we see, we see a lot of, a lot of trends like you know sort of like the modern day craftsmen and and all these things that would say that people do often like they're longing for community and like it used to be that community was your local community yeah here here's what i would like so the, i think the the reason that i'm maybe more against that craftsman thing is that mm-hmm. there there is that craftsman aesthetic right currently in the in the culture right like you think of like etsy right? That is the craftsman of today, right? And that whole aesthetic is not something that a lot of us relate to. I mean, some people do, some people love it, uh, but not, not everyone. I think when you, especially as designers, I feel like we look for a much more crafted and precise object. Mm -hmm. And I think once, you know, again, once that digital fabrication tools can get to that precision, but also be at the price point where they can be, you know, craftsman attainable, then we're going to start getting that that Etsy, that's like your MacBook, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that really nice. I yeah, I think I think that that is a possible future. Yeah, well, we'll just have to see. Should we get some questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, we gotta shout out the voicemail. Google, oh. Google voicemail. Um, Come on. We had some voicemails come in over the break, and so we're excited to to share those with you. Uh, and of course, if you want to call our call our voicemail. We still don't have a jingle yet, but it's it's one six four six four nine four forty eleven. I can't sing at all. <laughs> all right, uh, this this one comes from someone who didn't say their name, but I'll I'll just sell it. I'll just say their phone number. Their phone number is four four seven five eight. I'm kidding. Okay, here we go. Um, um hi. Uh, I was just wondering if there was any uh, influential uh, books. Or um, anything you've read that sort of uh, made you feel inspired to 
inspired about design um maybe not uh, an actual design book but maybe something that's uh, just inspired you to do better or become a better person but um but yeah it's uh yeah it's cool you're, you're doing well <laughs> yeah keep doing what you're doing bye that was awesome yeah. we, we don't know who you are but thank you thanks for sending that in yeah um design books or really anything that that you've been inspired by yeah i um i mean the thing is is that like most of what i end up reading is uh are like music blogs and i i just like that is actually i would say the like i feel like this is kind of cliche to say but i feel like one of the bigger influences on me in terms of motivation is music Oh yeah, music um, music can really get you pumped up for sure. Well, I I mean I the way that I like to think about it, and uh, again this might sound pretentious, but like I think about how I I just like the thing that gets me motivated is how amazing and otherworldly like the music that I listen to is, and that it is created by just a few people like mm. a few people coming together to create something like pretty astounding and so i will listen i will try to listen to just like really really great albums while i'm working because i feel like i don't know i like by osmosis i'm trying to like transfer this like one creative person's like uh you know the output that they've created in, as fuel for me to to create something that's interesting or take their creation and use it to make your creation in a way yeah i mean there are there are definitely i mean the best kind of art forms i feel like are those that inspire others to to push themselves mm, yeah, yeah um so yeah that's that's a lot of what i do and and yeah reading i don't yeah i don't read much other than that I'm not. I'm not a big book guy either. I will say one of the books I did really enjoy was Jasper Morrison, A Book of Things. Mm. Um, I, I think it really helped refine my design philosophy, um, and I, I had it. I got it last year, and I don't know. It's it, Jasper Morrison is an amazing designer, and definitely reading that book kind of showed me how he thought about his designs. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of like general inspiration, I feel like I'm always finding inspiration from. Um, like mechanisms or like mm. everyday things that like move or right. or sometimes even like more science. Uh, I, I think about like a project I'm working on now is like inspired by like a telescope. Mm. Um, you know, like like those kind of things are always interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for sending that in. Yes, thank you. And then we also got three voicemails from my dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, dads love voicemails. So I'm just going to play one of them because it's pretty good. Go for it. Yes, good afternoon, Nick and James. This is the Wishful Farmer. I've had the privilege of traveling most of my career and getting to see all kinds of countries and places. I thought it might be interesting for you to take on a design comment challenge by state. There are so many design schools in every place you go. I'm currently in Long Beach, California, and design here may be a little different than you New York boys know. Anyway, food for thought. Have a great evening. Bye bye. Thanks, Dad. That was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Design design comments by state. I believe I I'm not exactly sure what yeah. my dad means by that, but um, I I think maybe he's he's talking about like what I mean. It's almost like what we were just talking about. Yeah. With our our topic was how do different people in different states or countries have perspective on design? Right. And I've talked about this before, but I. I definitely saw a difference between the Southern District Conference and the Northern District Conference. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know there there does seem to be some regionalism yeah. within within industrial design, um, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. Um, I would love, yeah, I would love to for somebody to really just like nail what it is that's different region by region. I mean, the thing that I saw of the Northern District was was more more of a an artistic approach for sure to design. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about like like Midwest and then like what is it? It's Northern District, Southern District, Mid Midwest, and West Coast. Uh, I think there's Pacific Northwest. Is there? They have their own district? I, I'm not sure. Are we talking about IDSA districts? Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. But I will say, like, generally, you, I, I feel the same way. The, You know, I, we're East Coast boys. East Coast boys. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the northern states do tend to stray into more of the design art world, whereas the southern, uh, you know, I went to SCAD. I feel like that was a little bit more, um, like, strategy, more process-driven. Yeah. Uh, more designed for manufacturing and actual production of thousands of products, mm-hmm. which I'm sure they do. I'm sure that schools teach all of that, but yeah, for whatever reason, I feel like students like 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 the art stuff more in the north. And I mean, we're kind of generalizing here, but yeah. And I and there's always exceptions. To be fair, I don't think that one is necessary. You know, we're not saying that one is is better than the other. No. And I think that there's a really good balance of like the artistic and the scientific that makes a designer. And some some designers are more on the artistic and some are more on the scientific. Like this idea that we're all like, we should all be like cookie cutter designers. Like, you know, that's no fun. Right. Like you kind of, you need a bit of, a bit of all of that. Um, you know, when it comes to uh, a good design team. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for sending those voicemails in, guys. Um, definitely, again, if you have a voicemail, send it to us, 1-646-494-4011. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got also got some emails in, if you want to read one, James. All right, this one is by Maurizio Garcia. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, at M-A-U underscore G dot V. Uh, and they ask, what do you think are some impactful creative decisions an industrial designer could make uh, in order to execute a more sustainable ethical design vision, but often will avoid out of commodity? For example, uh, wait, what's that word again? Uh, consciously? Consciously. Oh, my God. I... <laughs> This is what happens well, when you're reading across laptops. Yeah, James is reading on my laptop. Uh, for example, consciously integrating speckles on your design to make a product more profitable and marketable, marketable but fully aware that it, it'll it be a manufacturing hell and eventually become outdated. Uh, okay, so this is interesting. This is like, I mean, this is almost kind of going back to like adding a decorative element to the design that is unnecessary to the function of the product. Yeah. Um but makes the product more marketable, more trendy. I don't know how I feel about this because I feel like what, you know, something that you were talking about, which is given time, there are like, we walk around European cities that are, that are very much cemented in a certain time period. And we walk around and we go, Oh, this is so charming. Mm. Like, that's interesting. You know, I don't, (laughs) I don't know that, like locking something into a certain time period is necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, trendy is always talked down in the design community as being a bad thing. Like yeah. you never want to have a trendy design because then your design won't last forever. Right. But you're right. Like, I mean, if we think about mid-century modern and uh, like post, like the the Memphis movement. Yeah. Like that stuff. I mean, mid-century modern is still in trend and it'll always be in trend. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's, that stuff is trendy to some extent and it's still like valued as as great design right to some extent yeah yeah i think um but the the weird thing is i guess with industrial design is like it's just in terms of product lifespan like i think you actually there's an argument that if we if Apple is good on their word and all the other companies are in just like recycling these things and, and it becoming a sustainable industry of like you recycle your phone and get a new one. Full circle. Yeah. If, if we get cradle to cradle, like why not have cell phones be very of the moment? That's interesting. Cause it, I mean, at that point it's essentially fashion. Hmm. Like it has the life cycle of a piece of fashion yeah i yeah i mean i think 
specifically with this question and specifically now i i would definitely i would love a scenario where yeah we could do cradle to cradle you know kind of be more expressive with our designs uh but you know there is also something to say back again to my my point of keeping it refined and not keeping it too obtrusive um in terms of like decorative elements and things like that uh i think when, when you talk about adding in some sort of decorative element like speckles onto the design i don't know i don't think that like i don't think that's i don't think that's too obtrusive no it is unnecessary like for the function of the product but but if you're going to go down that route then why are we have why do we have jobs right like, <laughs> like yeah if we, we just wanted all products to just function as is then we yeah. just have engineers right i um yeah i guess like i feel like there's a part of me that would love for there to be more designs of the moment. And maybe being in the moment, you don't realize what of the moment is. Oh, I know what of the moment is right now. It's Okay, it's, go for it. It's all the uh the text like the used Bihar textured stuff. Is well, it? I think that's of the moment last three years. Right. Or maybe five. Yeah. I feel like the kind of the new age texture movement is is a little bit trendy. Um I, I kind of feel like we're fading out of that a little bit, but yeah, I uh, I don't know. I guess I just, I love the nostalgia of looking back at things and being like, wow, like like that time period, that this is what was designed then. Like, I don't, I don't know that I want us to get to the final answer of design. Oh, like, oh. and I know that, that that's almost impossible, but like, I would say that that's of, a good the, point, of the time is rounded rectangle. Like Yeah, I can see that too. Like a rounded rectangle is very Well, that that's also very timeless, I think. Well, I don't know. I mean I'm I mean it's it's like post timeless. postmodern didn't have rounded rectangles. Yeah. It's definitely squares and circles. It's timeless until something something else comes. Something else comes. I, I do like I do like what you said about we don't have to get the timeless design right now. Like you, you you're so right in the way that it's an evolution. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the things that when I went into my first job, I, I quickly learned is that, yeah, I mean, we do make products and your product, you want to make it as the best product you could ever make it, like the end all be all. Like you yeah. want to make that, you know, kitchen cup thing to be the last kitchen cup thing that's ever made. Right. But at the end of the day, like it's okay. Like you push the bar a little bit more. And we'll keep pushing and pushing. Yeah. So I don't know. It's good. It's good. Uh, good comment. All right. Another question. For sure. Read it up, Nick. All right. This one comes from Jake, and Jake says, "Has there ever been a time while designing for a client in freelance, corporate, or consultancy that you struggle to find a good design solution in the time you are given? Um, if if it ever gets to a crunch time towards the end of a deadline and you aren't happy with any of the solutions you produced?" Are there any strategies that you can work to help get you through the finish line with a good result? That's a good question too. Hmm. So, yeah, has there ever been a time that I felt I couldn't get a good solution in the time given? Yeah, I would say I would say here here's here's one that I did recently. My glassware project that I did last year, where I I made a set of glasses and a carafe. Uh, it was sponsored. It was a MakerBot sponsored project, and you know I, I worked on it for a month, and you know really wanted to get the solution, uh, but I ended up like kind of finalizing the design and just turning in the final design, which was had these like glass cups with a silicone base that you could turn around and put a lid on. Um, I don't know. It just never felt right. Uh, mm. The nice thing about this this project was it wasn't manufactured, so. You know, there wasn't a lot of risk in that that involvement, but um, I've just let it sit there and and I haven't done anything with it, and I realized that it's not the right solution. Uh, so maybe the time didn't run out because I can still go back and redo it, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, the thing that I find it hard to do is to is to like look at something with the like one hundred foot view or even just like the 10 foot view while you're in the the middle of the project. Yeah. And I would say more, 
like more often I will find myself like like slapping my head with the palm of my hand once you look back once I look back yeah. on something mm-hmm. and I've heard a lot of comedians talk about this where they're working out material for a year to lead up to a special and then like a week later two weeks later they like think of the perfect way that that joke could have gone right after having recorded it and i i feel like that's that is pretty common is like to look back at something and be like oh my god what was i thinking i feel like yeah i feel like that's how every project goes honestly like i look back at all my old stuff i'm like oh you know that wasn't really quite right yeah i think that's just it might just be inherent to being a creative or designer or whatever for sure like first of all you're looking at everything critically and then you're looking at yourself critically yeah um but um i don't know that i've ever been in a situation where i'm like oh my god i don't have anything good to show for for what i've done like i try to push myself to get to that point of i'm satisfied with this like as it is right now i'm satisfied with what this is yeah yeah i i i would agree i feel like i've never had the point where it's like oh no i have nothing um i i don't know i mean maybe jake i would maybe suggest just doing more like quick ideas and i'm not sure your design process or if, if this is something that's happened to you but maybe something where you're getting a lot of ideas out on the table so that regardless like regardless of what happens there's at least one idea one concept out of all these hundreds of concepts that you've done that's going to be good right Right. at at least something that you're comfortable with like we were saying yeah and so if you're not coming up with a good solution in time given either one there's not enough time to lay out those hundred hundred ideas on the table or you just didn't do all the hundred ideas in the amount of time yeah so so maybe that is the thing is that you know, either ask for more time or put in more ideas. Right. And it, it almost, it almost sounds like there's nobody for you to review your work with like that. Cause I feel like there are times where I don't feel good about something until I review it with someone else and then start to brainstorm within that. Because I, I feel like there's this, I don't know, is there's might be this feeling that you have to f- have figured out what you're what you're doing at the time of presentation but if nothing if no tools are cut it's still a discussion yeah mm-hmm. right so like i mean i would approach it if you're not comfortable with what you have approach it as a discussion approach it as like i want to get your feedback and then maybe that then becomes a better dialogue to finding the right solution. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, I like that as well. Get feedback early on. That'll help you navigate a little bit better, I think. Right. Um, all right, what do you think? One more, t- one more question? I think we got time for one more. All right. This one comes from Connor McElveen. And Connor asks, Hey, Nick and James, what is, your, what is more important to you, design integrity or client satisfaction? When, if ever, are you willing to tell a client no? Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Oh, I tell a client no all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. Um, I, uh, well, first of all, you know, it, it, every client's different. The hope is, is that your client understands that they're paying for you to tell them what to do, right? Like, right. that's the whole point of consulting with someone like you're looking for their advice and if their advice is no then you're hopefully you have a good client and they take that into consideration yeah um yeah i i think uh it's a balance like i don't think you should ever it's a tough thing like because you you want to have an amazing design but you also want your client to be satisfied with the design Mm -hmm. and if those two aren't aligned you know it's one, you if your client's dissatisfied and you think you did an amazing job, well, you might not get that client again, right? And you may not even see the the light of day of that product. Yeah. Um, and then the opposite of that is, what your client's happy, but you don't think you did a good job, and well, you're never gonna put it in your portfolio, and all you got was money. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, part of the job as a designer is to fulfill the client brief, you know? So if they've given you a clear brief and you agree to the brief, then when you present to the client, like you should be, in a sense, you should be satisfying them by fulfilling the brief. Right. And I and I think this is where people get tripped up because at the beginning, before you start designing, you needed to work with your client on the brief, like define the yeah. project, right? You have to have, you know, like if the client says like, hey, I want I want a dollhouse. Will you design a dollhouse? You know, I just like to pull out random examples. <laughs> I like to visualize, you know? Yeah. And uh, you're like, oh, yeah, I could do a, a sweet dollhouse. I'm actually going to, I think it'd be cool if we did a dollhouse that was like, instead of dolls it was cars and cars could drive around right <laughs> right and so that's what you're thinking in your head but if you never tell your client that and then they're expecting a dollhouse yeah and you show them this amazing car design well it's like you know there's that disconnect so you gotta like sit them down and be like oh hey i see that you want to design this dollhouse i can design a dollhouse but i also maybe add in this other element of the design you know like you know what if we did this and so i think in those scenarios you know, definitely start early, you know, work with your client to kind of reframe the brief if needed be. And then also, you know, provide them with the best solution, but also your recommendation, right? Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think you should, yeah, you should be leading your client in your presentation. You should be laying out the, like the best argument you can for the solutions that you're providing and, uh, I mean, I really do feel like you should never present anything that you don't like. Yes, that's the number one rule. Because if you do, they will choose it. It's 100% all it happens all the time. Yeah. I don't know why. It and, just does. And I mean, I think we've had this discussion before. I do sometimes wonder if like there isn't some some world in which like the fact that the client loves that idea like maybe you're missing what's great about the idea mm -hmm. so i mean but yeah there, there is something to say about what the client likes as well i mean especially if they're taking it especially if it's like an industry that you are less familiar with mm -hmm. um and you know maybe you know like the pet industry right like there was a lot of packaging designs when i was working at at my pet job that I don't know. I didn't really feel like represented great design, mm. but the industry of you know pet products and things like that is is very much you know the the toy industry like very playful, very fun, very like loud gradients, yeah. stripes, things that caught your eye. And you know to some extent, I can see where that has value, especially in the market. Um, you know, I I would have just liked like a nice clean white background, <laughs> but you know that's the designer in me. And right. so you're right; their client does have some, definitely some insight, uh, knowledge, and insight into that. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Connor. Um, of course, every week we like to give a little shout out of the week. What up? And this week we wanted to shout out at Speck of Dustin underscore Lab. Oh yeah. So from what I've gathered, um. And I think I, I'm going to go out on a limb. I, I'm looking I'm looking it up right now, but I'm pretty sure that this guy's name is Dustin. <laughs> uh, but I think he's been shouted out by um, Tim Zarkey, who we've also talked about on the podcast. Um, but he's an industrial designer for uh, Microsoft. He's worked for Minimal. Uh, I don't know Noman Workshop, but... Uh, but yeah, he just has really, really beautiful 3D work, 3D and rendering work that he does. Mm, that's cool. Um, oh, I'm looking right now. I see. Scroll up. This is a. There's a chair with an umbrella through this through the side of the chair. That's kind of a fun design. Yeah, I like that. But the umbrella umbrella goes through the side of the chair and acts as the fourth leg. Yes, that's really nice. I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it seems like similarly to um, to Tim Zarkey, he is sort of expert level when it comes to the 3D and rendering world. And it's almost like CGI in a way. Mm, yeah, there's it's, definitely a little bit more like, 
yeah dustin's doing some more cgi stuff some more particle things yeah some more like concept art type things but the first time that i was aware of him was during the blowing with cs challenge and he did this awesome like what do you what do you call that kind of uh that kind of mechanism oh like a like an auger yeah like so an it's auger a, fan and yeah and so instead of blades on your fan, you have this spiral, this auger that spins really quickly. And, yeah. And theoretically, it would push air, right? Yeah. Do you think it would? I don't, I don't know. know. That's a good question. It but looks it, cool. It's, it's And he's got a great animation to go along with it. But yeah, just super impressive work. He's been doing a lot of uh, Render Weekly stuff recently. Um, so yeah, definitely check him out. I, I think he's got a really uh, unique voice. Yeah. Um, and as always, feel free to give us an email, minor details podcast at gmail.com. Yep. Send a, send your voicemail in. We, we won't answer. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Just a Google voicemail. Uh, one six, four, six, four, nine, four, 40, 11. Um, as always, our, our intro and outro is by Kiyoshi the kid. Mm-hmm. Subscribe, like rate YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. Oh yeah. All of it. Um, and you know we are on Instagram at Minor Details Pod, and I'm at Nick P Baker, and I'm at I Draw and Receipts. Peace out, guys. Later. <laughs>